Thank you for tuning in to the Rubrics podcast. It's entitled Rubrics as a Reminder because rubrics are those liturgical instructions to tell us how to perform the ritual action. Um, in the clerical world, we have a saying that um, you, um, you say the black and do the red, which means you say the words written in black and you do the things that are, that are written in red which is the inspiration of, of what we hope will have come out of this podcast. And all that we do is that we learn how to live the faith and how to, and to follow Jesus Christ in, in practical ways. So if you're new to us, thank you for joining either on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or however you listen. Spread the word. Um, do subscribe and, um, and like and share in your various platforms. We'll be very grateful. I'm Father Steve Rice. I'm the rector of St. Timothy's Episcopal Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I'm Father Luke Klingstead. I'm the curate here at St. Timothy's. So we've been doing this now for, um, time flies, two or three months yeah. now. And, and this podcast continues to evolve. I mean, I, of course, it's centered you know, somewhat to the members of St. Timothy's as a supplement to mm-hmm. formation. But we, we hope to always have the topics broad enough that if you are not a member of this parish, that it may be edifying to you, and we are certainly glad that you are here. It is March 15th when we are recording the Ides of March. We are almost midway in the season of Lent. This coming Sunday is Laetare Sunday. We are um, uh, it's a little under a month until we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Mm-hmm. Your ordination to the priesthood is a, a month, month from tomorrow. From today. From today. That's right. That's right. Uh, one month to go. And you just came back from a trip to New York City. I did. Not as an ordination retreat, but no. as a family retreat. No, as a uh, celebration of five years of marriage, which will be in May. Um, and, you know, our first child is coming in, in August, and we found out it's a, it's going to be a boy. And so we, we had much to celebrate. So Chloe and I went to New York and... Um, Mostly, it centered around food and coffee, and uh, we saw a Broadway show. But it was it was a good time, and we even saw some snow while we were there. Then brought it and back brought here it the back. next day. Well, when priests go on vacation, we always ask the following questions: What churches did you see? That's right. Yeah. So, so St. Thomas on Fifth Avenue um, is a famous, famous church in New York City, and uh, we were able to sit through. Um, and catch a, a portion of their Station to the Cross devotion, um, which was lovely. And then we went to an even song, and they had a Eucharist, a short said Mass that followed afterwards. And um, their even song is Notorious, because they have a professional boys choir. In a good that, way. Yes, yes, Notorious in a good way, because of their professional boys choir. So it was uh, it was lovely, and you know we saw a, a clergyman from North Carolina in our diocese. So it was a small world. Um, but yeah, St. Thomas on 5th, we stuck our head in St. Patrick's because the cathedral walked past St. Mary's a bit, um, but that one's in Times Square. It was a little bit hectic, so we you know, saw it as we were being ushered through with all the other crowds um, trying to make our way to a Broadway show. So you didn't but, go inside? Uh, not um, this time. I, I've been inside St. Mary's, been inside St. Patrick's, um, and, and a handful of others that I'm forgetting now. Um, was... Um, Evensong on Thursday. Mm-hmm. How many people were there at Evensong? In the pews that stayed the whole time, 20-something, 
30 something came, you know, a couple left yeah. here and there. People were sticking their head in. Still um, all boys or is it co-ed choir now? Choir, it was all boys. Oh, how many boys were there? Um, it was hard to see because they had um, some older kids who I assume are not part of the school. Yeah. They looked, you know, college yeah. age and then they had adults mixed in with them, but probably 10 to 15. Um, some very, very young and uh, sounded wonderful and marvelous. I asked that, and I, I love this. Um, you see this in some cathedral foundations in the UK as well. I mean, St. Thomas Fifth Avenue is perhaps the closest thing we have in the United States to an English cathedral, right? Both in both in its grandeur, yeah, um, and also the fact that it has a residential um, boys choir, mm-hmm. a school. So, so boys from all over the country go there. They have a um, I think a, a whole building yeah, high rise so. uh, on Fifth Avenue, and um, so they sing as a. I mean, part of their of their schooling is they are in class, they take lessons, obviously, and they sing Egan Song. I think six days a week. Yeah, I think when I was looking up, they didn't have it Friday or Saturday okay, this week, so but I think normally it's six days. a yeah, week. Yeah, normally six days a week, and. What I love about that is, number one, it's extraordinarily high-quality music. It is. It's, it is Stunning. heavenly yeah. music. And even though you're in a city of, what, eight, nine million people, I mean, I don't know how many are in New York now, but if there are 30 people and 15 boys, mm-hmm. that's not why they're doing it. No. They're doing it for the glory Correct. of God, and they're doing it for the daily rhythm of the daily office of Correct. singing the prayers. And it's not that... They don't want people to come in. Of mm-hmm. course they do. But if no one's there, it doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. I remember having a, an experience um, in um, in the winter in, in Norwich Cathedral where they have, um, it's a it's a mixed choir, but they have choral even song every day. And in the height of winter, I mean, Norwich is, is, a, is historically England's second city. It's a big city, but it's not necessarily on the tourist trail. And so if you're in January in the right. dead of winter, you may have one, if anyone, in the pews for even song. And it felt like an old um, monastic office, mm-hmm. which is what Norwich Cathedral used to be. It was just these monks singing even song for the glory of God. World-class music, and no one heard it right. but the angels and archangels, which is... Um, reason enough to do it. Yeah. So I think that's great. I love. It is. I think I think um, St. Thomas Fifth Avenue is a Ralph Adams Cram Church. Ah. And um, Cram and Ferguson, Ralph Adams Cram's legacy architectural firm, did our reordering here yeah. at St. Timothy's. It's just a stunningly beautiful. It was, church. and and I I love New York. I love the the subways. Um, you know, I say that as someone who's never lived there. So if I lived there, I'm sure it would grow grow old. Um, but I, I really do just love all the people. But um, at St. Thomas on 5th, what you, what you get there that you kind of miss at even a church like in Winston-Salem is that separation from outside to the narthex to then in the nave. Um, in a place like New York where it is just deafening outside, and then you enter in in that that quiet even mm-hmm. song. Um, it really is that transition of space that makes you feel like you're in a different world almost. And and when it got really really quiet, you know, between the psalms, sometimes you'd hear the rumbling of the subway as a kind of a reminder yeah. that the world plows forward outside, but in this space, it's kind of this this time apart from the rest of the world. 
there is a famous Norman Rockwell painting of the uh, west facade of St. Thomas Smith ah, Avenue. I and I, on memory, I'll look it up when we're done, I think it's full of people just walking by. Uh, yeah. And then someone's changing the sign uh, on the just outside the, the door announcing the services. Mm. But it's a beautiful painting. Um, it's just an extraordinarily beautiful church. So, yeah. Yeah. What else? What else happened in New so, York? Yeah. So we uh, we were able to go to um, the Cloisters, which is um, part of the Met, part of their you know massive museum on on Park Avenue or Sixth Avenue um, on the east side of Central Park, and the Cloisters are actually much further north, about a 45, 30 ish minute subway ride yep. um, north. Then you you know climb up a hill, and it is. Um, kind of reconstructions of various medieval, I think mostly 12th century monasteries. Um, and they've tried to reconstruct some of their cloisters, some of their walkways and and uh, passageways and, and living quarters. Um, oh, there it is. He's showing me the uh, normal. Oh, yeah, that's a wonderful picture. Yeah. And it really is a, a wonderful, you know, kind of awe-inspiring um, wall there as you kind of exit the subway and everyone's running around and and there's the church kind of in well the i know of this everything. is a podcast and this is this is awful because i'm talking about an image <laughs> in you but but the norman rockwell norman rockwell painting the sign says lift up thine eyes mm. while everyone outside is looking is, down uh, is looking down um which really which really sums up in a way what you were talking about this great um, I think you're coming. You're going. You're going to put it. I'm going to try to be quick about this, yeah. and uh, and uh, yeah, I'll put it on the screen. Um, doing this on the fly is always a recipe for disaster. But we'll see how this goes. There we go. And there it is. We'll see. Uh, I'm about to put it live, and you'll have two other pictures that I'm about to uh, point out behind it. But yeah. there it is in, at the center. And you see all the people looking down um, and the uh, church worker changing that sign. I don't know how well it'll show up on, on people's screens, but if you look closely, you can see the uh, lift up thine eyes. We'll put a link to this picture on um, in the show notes for, for yeah. the Apple podcasts and everything else. Sorry about that, but it's a beautiful painting. So it Google, is. Just Google Norman Rockwell, St. Thomas. Yeah. St. Thomas. And it's a beautiful painting. Sorry, relics so, at the cloisters. Yeah, so the cloisters, you know, it's a medieval art um, exhibit, and they have predominantly religious art. And the Met has its own kind of medieval section. So we're walking around there, and I'm going to pull up these two pictures. And um, they have all these reliquaries. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I just kind of made the assumption, you know, okay, reliquary, relics not in it, they've been moved. And I look closer, and sure enough, the, the relics are still in here. And so the one on the left here is a, a cross, and it has um, various rocks that you know look like jewels, is what the sign said. And in between all of them are various relics, um, and, and most of them were unnamed. But there's a, a small wooden piece where the arms meet, and it has a relic of the true cross. And, and on your right, this one was actually at the Met, and it is St. Mary Magdalene's tooth. And, and if you look closely, you can kind of see it in that little cylinder in there. And I was kind of struck by um, all these people who were reading the sign and, and kind of pointing it out to the people around them, like, oh my goodness, look at the, you know, relic yeah. of the True Cross, Mary Magdalene's tooth, how, how interesting. And it kind of hit me that, you know, these are in churches all across the world, you know, various relics. Um, churches have always had relics. Nobody's flocking to the churches to see the relics. 
But when they're here at this museum, um, people find them fascinating. People were, were talking about them, taking pictures of them, taking pictures of the sign. People who probably are totally unaware that there are yeah. you know, several churches close to where they live that probably have, have similar, similar relics. Um, I'm trying to see on the glass. I cannot see... Which one, the right or left? Both. I cannot see the the um, the the print of your lips on the glass, where I'm sure you reverence <laughs> yes, the relic reverence. at the at the museum. Yes. I don't. No, I'm sure no it's kissing, there. but crossing myself. I'm sure. Um, it's, I'm sure it's there. I just don't see. That's it. right. Yes. Yes. I would have uh, probably been dragged down by security for for placing my lips on the uh, sensors or whatever. But um, it, it did strike me as, as a little strange that, you know, it's behind these glass walls, um, kind of taken out of its purpose, which is adoration, and now it's just a spectacle. Um, and I think when it is uh, coded two different ways, in the museum it is a spectacle. Um, it is coded as something to just look at for five minutes and think neat and walk away. When it is in a church on an altar or brought out in front of the people and venerated, it is coded religiously, um, and I was kind of struck by that uh, dramatic difference, that if this was on an altar and was kind of with an expectation, carrying with an expectation of reverence, that I'm not sure the people would think it was as cool as if it was in a museum, because it's demanding something of them. It's, it's, it's trying to get them to respond in a certain way, when it's simply like a TV program in a glass case for your, for your viewing pleasure and move on with the rest of your day, you know, people find it interesting or fascinating. And I think that is um, simply a, a small microcosm of religion in America today, and it's kind of become a spectacle almost. Um, the music is good because it's good quality music. But the worship element of music, you know, not so much. We, we don't necessarily want that. The relics, they belong in museums, not on altars. Um, all of the, the artwork that, you know, religion has done as I'm walking these hallways looking at all this artwork um, that still exists in churches today, but people aren't flocking to churches to see it. They'll go to the museum. I think that is telling of where the church sits in society today. Well, yes, and... I think a parallel you can draw is museums have collections. Correct. They collect things. Correct. And I think the temptation in religion is, and this goes back to the gospel reading today at Daily Mass, I think, and, and what we've been hearing in the gospels um, I mean, throughout this season, is that following Jesus Christ is not about collecting yeah. stuff, either collecting opinions or collecting doctrines or even collecting... Mm -hmm practices. It's about a transformed life. Yes. Um, and all of those things I mentioned, doctrines and disciplines and rituals, all of those are aids to help us live out that mm -hmm. transformed life. Hence the title of the podcast in our parish newsletter rubrics. Here is here is some practical, here, are, here is how we do it. Yeah. But it needs to be, um, the gospel today was, it's not what goes in a man's mouth that defiles is what comes out. Yeah. Those things need to come from the heart, and then they find their manifestation in material things and actions and movement and sound and 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 sight um, in these things. But we don't we're not we don't collect religion. Mm -hmm. We live it. Yeah. And I think I think that may be the the difference. I mean, if you go by. I mean, I, I imagine people are like you. They go to the cloisters. They know there's something beautiful there. Yeah. They're not going to see the relics necessarily. They see it, and they probably go, huh, 
Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Whereas what, what's supposed to happen in the context of adoration is a different kind of sigh. Yeah. Is that um, God is near. God lived in this person. God, God, God's grace and power was evident, mm-hmm. um, was evident in their lives. And I am moved to draw closer to Jesus Christ through their witness yeah. and through their intercession. Um, because not that we're worshiping, and people misunderstand this all the time, the true cross is encased in this wonderful, beautiful gold enamel mm-hmm. jewel, the same thing with the tooth of Mary Magdalene. It's not because those objects in and of themselves have any kind of um, um, supernatural power. It's what happens to us when we when we realize that the things we're talking about are not abstract, yeah. but are real. These are real people. That's the power of relics. The cross was a real, real thing. wooden cross. It, it existed. Um, Mary Magdalene is so shrouded in tradition and story and legend. At the end of it, though, she was real. Mm-hmm. She knew Jesus Christ. And she she was loved Jesus Christ life. and transformed yeah. by him. And so it's that connection that, oh my gosh, this is true. This yeah. is real. Is the power of it, and so we we um, adorn the message that's behind these things, not the thing itself. Yeah, and that's that's the important thing that. that we need they're to also they're also People. always reminders that our faith is is physical. Yep. Um, we're not a a gnostic faith. That, that's the incarnation. Yeah, that sits. I mean, you know, you want to take it to its literal extreme, and you say that tooth was within the vicinity of Jesus Christ. I mean, that that's where, you know, you get you get um, maybe into the weeds a little bit, but that's kind of the point of all this, is that that tooth was in the mouth of someone who spoke with Jesus Christ. Um, that, that, it, that brings us closer to the incarnation. Um, by meditating on that and by, by seeing it, it's kind of a reminder that this stuff is real, yeah. that our faith is not um, just in a book, that somebody wrote in a room because it's a good story. It is. It is real. It is fleshly. It is lived out, um, and that is a reminder for us today that to be a Christian is to live out your faith in in the world. I love relics. I think they're important. Um, and they're you know Saint Augustine talks about mm-hmm. the the what relics were able to do to inspire people's faith. Right. But we need to always remind people they're not. Objects of superstition. There's in Calcutta, uh, Italy. There's a there's a very interesting book called An Irreverent Curiosity. Calcutta, India, India. There is one in India. Calcutta, Italy, is the home of the uh, uh, relic, the only theologically appropriate relic of Jesus Christ. What I mean by that is Jesus Christ is bodily in heaven, so there can be no relic of Jesus Christ since he ascended and is in heaven, except Except. for one, (laughs) except for the relic that is the uh, byproduct of the feast of January 1st, the holy name or the circumcision. Circumcision, So Calcutta, Italy, the cathedral there, I think, I think there's a cathedral there, um, claims to have the holy foreskin of our Lord Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. 
that's fine. The problem is, is that on January 1st, there was this great elaborate procession yeah. that was meant to be something of, um, of piety and devotion. This is a connection to Jesus Christ. But then it became, as the title of the book, an irreverent curiosity. Mm-hmm. And so the bishop has suppressed that procession. Don't do that. It's causing scandal. People Probably are coming, rightfully so. People are coming and making yeah. fun and poking and, you know, and of the procession of the holy foreskin. So yeah. there is always that danger. We have... I forget how many we have, almost 20 relics here at St. Timothy's, and we take very good care of them. Most of them belong to me personally, but a handful do belong to the church. And they're not there to be any kind of special amulet or, you know, talisman. Or they're, they're, they're objects of faith. Mm-hmm. That's what they're there for. It's always a good reminder that you can live a faithful Christian life and never with no relics and never, and never see one. Absolutely. Um, they're, they're not, you know... Guaranteeing to make you a better Christian, Instead, but they can be why don't a devotional be a relic aid. by living a holy life yes. and let people let people venerate, yes. um, so that we can put you on an altar yeah, one day. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, we're going to transition a bit um, in the rest of our time. I, I want to spend, and we, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but talking about discipleship, community. Um, what does formation, you know, as we as the term we we prefer to use at St. Timothy's, um, what does that look like in our church today? Maybe what are some of the dangers associated with it? Where are we doing it right or wrong? And I think both of us have um, interesting experiences with this. I grew up Southern Baptist, heavy on Sunday school. Um, I did, you know, the Awanas class, um, which if, if, if you've never taken that, it sounds a little goofy, but it was a class based on scripture memorization. And every Wednesday night I would come and say my, you know, five verses and get the little sticker. Um, and I did that through sixth grade, I guess. Um, memorizing whole chapters at a time. I mean, it was it was very good. It was, scripture memorization was very good. But, you know, in the Baptist world, Sunday school, and the Methodist world, I'm assuming it was something similar yep. with, with Sunday school. Um, but before we get into it, I want to kind of, you know, bracket our conversation with, with Scripture, as is rightfully appropriate. Um, and Paul's words in Ephesians, I think, give us, you know, there's so many verses about discipleship. People point to the Great Commission. People point to... Jesus is sending his disciples out, all well and good. But I think um, when Paul talks about the old life and the new, I think it's a reminder of what is formation and life in the church and community supposed to be aimed at. And this is what he says in Ephesians 4, 20 through, uh, I'll read through 24. Actually, I'll just finish out this little section. This is not the way you learned Christ. For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him, as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeliness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And I think that's a wonderful reminder that everything we do is aimed at a new birth. It's aimed at clothing ourselves in new clothes according to the likeness of God, being recreated in righteousness through Jesus Christ, and basically putting to death your old self. All all the, as Paul says, the, the way of life deluded by its lust, which I think is a wonderful way of phrasing that, that formation, you know, discipleship, Christian communities are all aimed at transformation. They're not collecting things, like like we said earlier. Not collecting facts. Not collecting facts, not collecting friends even. Yep. 
but but transforming your life and the people around you. So uh, to get us going, talk a little bit about uh, formation that you had growing up, and, and I'll do the same in, in the Baptist world, and then we can kind of talk about how we've experienced it in the Episcopal Church. Yeah, and um, well, let me just, I want to say you're spot on by talking about what Christian formation, what the aim of it is, yeah. is to is to throw off the old and put on the new. And the gospel for this coming Sunday, for Leitari Sunday, is long. Um, we have a couple ones in a week and that, are, that are long. one of the stories in there is the healing of the man who was blind from birth. Mm-hmm. And there are all kinds of interesting things in there. I mean, they're asking, they're, first of all, there's a presumption of sin. Yes. That's why Who he's sinned, blind. this man or his father? Or his, or his parents. Yeah. Or his and parents, Jesus yeah. says, no one did. He, he was born this way so that God's glory yeah. may be revealed. But then what I find interesting is that the the method of healing, the way Jesus healed him was to spit on clay yeah. and put it on his eyes. And when I read that, I immediately um, am reminded of the creation mm-hmm. of Adam from the clay, from the dirt. Mm-hmm. So this man is an image of uh, being recreated now in the image right. of, 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 you know, after the new Adam. And that's what formation is. Formation is to is to be created anew in Jesus Christ, and not simply to pass a test, not mm-hmm. to have an aptitude on biblical names and yeah. places or theological um, ideas. As important as those things are, biblical literacy, theological literacy, important. But again, the the illiterate peasant who is formed in Jesus Christ is perhaps formed than someone with advanced degrees yep. in these subjects, but has had no change in their life, no orientation toward right. the beatific vision, all the things that the Gospels talk about. And I think, going back to how in, we're not bringing up our childhoods to, to dunk on our churches of origin, it's just to give context mm-hmm. to what we knew and and how that helps inform what we're trying to accomplish now is I think that well-meaning people thought that formation was simply to present facts mm-hmm. and then to give you the opportunity, give the student um, in Sunday school the chance to, to give them back, yep. to, to, to regurgitate that. I mean, there is a place in that, in terms of, of the, in the, in the process of formation, but that's not the ultimate yeah. goal. Just like there's a place in... Secular school for regurgitation. You Correct. Can, you've got to have the, Correct. The, the facts first. You can't, it's hard to be formed in Jesus Christ if you knew nothing about yeah, the man yeah. and what he said right. and what he did and, and that. So um, for me, it was um, Sunday school, which we've said on previous podcasts were, were led by um, completely well-meaning volunteers who really had no, um, um, there was no real curriculum that I remember. I mean, we, there was, but we didn't really follow mm. it. It was just whatever was the most fun. I mean, I do remember, I do remember having to memorize a 23rd Psalm, mm. yeah. which I thought, uh, which I remember because you got a, st- well, it was good peer pressure. They had a list of all the kids on a poster board and you got a sticker if you could that memorize is good peer it, pressure. and I didn't want to be the one yep, not having yep. a sticker, so I remember trying to to learn that. Um, I remember learning Old Testament stories. Yeah. Like I remember Moses in, in particular, in the flood, maybe yeah, and things like that. Um, but beyond that, um, that was about it. 
um, my Methodist confirmation preparation, I thought was was not bad. Mm-hmm. That was the first time when I was in um, sixth grade, fifth, sixth grade, that I actually um, was merging biblical stories with um, higher ideas mm. and theological concepts and how those applied to yeah. me as someone who was approaching uh, adulthood in the process of adolescence. Um, so that was it. I mean, I don't, I mean, there's, there was no catechism we had to, to learn yep. or to repeat. Um, it was, um, sort of osmosis, but you know, it's all right. Yeah. Mine, um, probably Yours, similar. I imagine is more robust. Than it it was, you know, we had, we had a big enough church that were the, I'm sure there was, there was curriculum. Um, my mother was my Sunday school teacher for, for a while, um, and did a, a wonderful job, obviously. Um, clearly. But, uh, you know, then, then by the time you get to, you know, middle school, youth group, then you've got your youth pastors, and, and they're kind of doing their own thing. But the the thing I think that I always thought, you know, took for granted, but was done well, was the merging of smaller groups with a broader sense of community. Um, and, you know, huge mega churches you kind of have to do that or else people get lost but i had you know my small table group with uh, a leader there we were part of the the middle school youth group or the high school youth group when we had our you know youth pastor there which was part of the broader i mean you kind of have these these steps um and that was good to kind of form some community but like i've talked about before you know the reason i left the southern baptist church is because i wanted something more Um, i felt like Maybe it would just stop at the facts, or just stop at just stop short of something more that I was that I was searching for, and that was you know a whole other story that I've told before. But um, I do think you're right that you know I look at so many of the kids that were in formation with me or in Sunday school with me, and uh, there was there was a disconnect somewhere that, that couldn't quite be filled. Um, whether that was they got the facts, but they didn't have the transformed life. Or in some cases, you know, there'd be people who would want the, the emotional transformed life, but had no time for any type of actual intellectual engagement with the facts. And I think what Paul speaks about here, which is so helpful, is the way that they are supposed to go together. We put away our, you know, delusions of lust in the old self by focusing on Jesus Christ. There is that emotional transformation, and, you know, Paul is no stranger to um, intellectual doctrine, but every time he he uses it or rebukes false doctrine, it's all in this aim of transformation. Yeah. They they kind of are married together, um, and ideally, it, that is what formation is supposed to be. Yeah, and we see people all the time. I see people all the time, and talk to them who um, they want to grow in their faith. They're insecure in yeah. their biblical and theological yep. um, knowledge, and there's always someone in their life. Frequently, it's a relative, um, often a spouse or some relative or some close friend who is antagonistic toward the faith, yep. but um, has more biblical knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so um, these folks are feel um, inadequate to have a conversation, and they and then oftentimes they end up um, they 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 
they weaken their practice of the, mm-hmm. of the faith because they feel like they don't know enough, and this person clearly knows more than me, right. and they're telling me these things are wrong or bad. Um, I, I see, see that element. The other thing that we see in just in terms of a... But the point is the person who's making those critiques is not living a transformed Correct. life. Correct. It's not a grasp of Christianity. Yeah. It's a knowledge of facts, and they're able to take manipulate advantage of them. those who yep. don't know them and manipulate right. them. And the other thing that happens is that we see are people who have been able to accumulate verses, and then they can now use that to whatever whatever has transformed their life, mm-hmm. whatever political ideology on the yep. right or the left, right. you can always find any kind of proof text and just put it up there. Yeah. And if, if, Which is why you see people on the right and left doing that all the time. All the time, and it's maddening. And that ends up weakening the whole Christian message yeah. because people who aren't looking to have a dog in that fight are seeing the same texts being used mm-hmm. in opposition, mm-hmm. and then like that's just well, that's that's chaotic yeah. and, and not helpful, and, and so they move on, they move on to something else. Um, so that is the issue with just simply um, putting the expectation of what formation is, is to have a notebook full of talking points yeah. or verses. The goal is is to is to be able to see the world and live the world through the lens of the words and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so not that you just can open up a book and pull out something and apply to it, although that is helpful. But um, I mean, an example would be like when John Paul II, Pope John Paul II, theologian, philosopher, well-trained, when he would meet Mother Teresa, who was no intellectual lightweight, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, but but... I'm certain did not have the same yeah. academic credentials. Right. Do you think he was going to dismiss her because uh, because she didn't have as much training as he had? Absolutely not. She was living it, and she saw the world mm-hmm. so powerfully through the lens of Jesus Christ. She was teaching the world. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of saints that the church remembers that we call doctors of the church yeah. who are not formally trained necessarily. Mm-hmm. But their writings are so sound and so helpful for, um, um, for, for transformation that they're given to us and commended mm-hmm. for us to for us to read and absorb and do that. Um, I is, formation is is again is being sort of covered in all of this, covered in this clay of grace, that that we emerge um, um, a new thing. And I mean, I was struck um, Sunday night. My my children come to. Evening prayer, even song and benediction—that's um, just something that they do. Um, yeah. we've, 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 and they've got youth group after. They've got youth group, <laughs> which makes it very, very easy it and does, convenient yeah. for them. Which is, which is the point. But I was—they they like to pick on me on the on the on the chants yeah. that I sing. So they like to pick on me on how I do. Um, 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 o saving victim, and then one of the lines in the collect for uh, Corpus Christi. There's a there's a big drop in the chant and they 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 love to walk tease around me. the house mimicking it they walk around the house mimicking it and they walk around mimicking the um o solitaris yeah what happens is though without even knowing it they know all they the know words it. yeah they yeah. know the entire liturgy and when so now that it's a part of them they can draw on that to now understand something about the Holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And so it's the idea of not saying, I want you to remember this, I'm going to teach it, go memorize it, and bring it back to me, is without trying to memorize it, they have. they've been exposed to it so much, they know it. Mm-hmm. 
and now they can apply it. Um, It's like learning a language by immersion. You just pick it up. It now becomes a part of you. And that's that's the thing that we talk about in formation, that if you if you come to formation once every six weeks or you, you pick up your Bible here and there, it's better than not doing anything. But it's like trying to learn Spanish by yep. you know, I don't know, doing an app and following yep. it, you know, once, a month. Five, once yeah. a month. You might learn a word or two, yep. but you're not gonna speak the language. And you're not gonna understand you're it. Not gonna for understand what it, is. it. Yeah. Well, Let's get, um, I guess, specific for a second. I was jotting notes and just thinking about what are the problems we see today in our in our church, you know, broadly speaking, um, all of the different churches, but also maybe in our Episcopal church. What is hindering our formation, um, and what is hindering, you know, transformation in Jesus Christ? Specifically, when we talk about formation. Outside of, you know, Mass, even though that is a formative experience, but when people talk about Sunday school or formation or things like that, it's usually referring to the, the extra things that happen outside of, you know, our worship activities. Um, what are some of the hindrances or problems that you see? Because I was writing down some notes, and, and some of the things that I was noting is we've lost a lot of our community. Um, Part of what makes formation easy is when you have a strong community around you. And I think part of that was COVID, kind of dividing up some of those lines and being separated for a time. It makes it hard to to be transformed together as a people group when you don't feel like you're actually part of one body. Um, And part of that is you know, has been has existed for thousands of thousand years now. That the divisions in the church make it hard for us to see ourselves as one body. Part of it is just our individualized society, kind of isolating us. It makes it hard to grow together as the body of Christ. Um, some of the other things I wrote down, and, and this is not um, a new phenomenon, but biblical literacy is is very very low. And and I always think it's funny that. Um, you know, you think hundreds and hundreds of years ago, I'm, I, you know, was at the muse- at these museums in, in um, the Middle Ages when people didn't have Bibles in their home that they could read, but the artwork formed them in the faith. And now we have Bibles and, and so many resources at our fingertips, and so many people just don't understand the, the basic story of the Bible. What is, what is happening in these books? Um, that makes formation hard. And then... Um, you know, a couple other ones that I wrote down, uh, I think a lot of people have privatized their faith so much to where they don't even care if other people are formed as Christians. And so we, we approach, you know, religion like, um, one item in a buffet table. This is, this is what works for me. Somebody else is going to come along. I want there to be other options for them. And so when you think about, you know, most formation historically was taught by volunteers and, and things like that. When you don't actually care if people are formed in the Christian faith or not, what's the point of formation? You just figure out what works best for you. And then the last one I wrote down, um, and this is one that you know hits home to me doing a lot of, especially the children's and youth formation, is programming um, that really took off you know, in the last 10, 20 years and came to a crashing halt during covid Um, but everyone always is looking for that one perfect curriculum 
that is the best one out there that's going to train people the best and and they're always revamping curriculum and you know charging an arm and a leg for the materials and i always find it um, interesting that we've been forming christians for thousands of years and you know this curriculum just started existing 10 years ago what makes us think that that is the only way to form christians now but it goes back to what you were saying when we get so obsessed with our curriculum or our programming Really, the only thing we need is to be faithful and to show up and to actually focus on Jesus Christ and expect to be transformed. I mean, I tell my youth this all the time when they're talking about studying the Bible. I said, it really doesn't matter what what curriculum or format we follow. It matters if you're faithful because everything will eventually fall into place. Um, You know, you don't have to cram everything, all the intellectual facts you need to know in two years. That's impossible. But you can be faithful and have that that turning of your heart and mind toward Jesus Christ, all the intellectual pieces will fall into place. Um, yeah. that, that will come. I mean, people, I think I've said this maybe before, I don't know, but but the um, in my office, there's not a, a piece of the wall that's not covered in yeah. some painting picture or something. And I have all these prints from the 19th century Vanity Fair portraits, and they're all of religious figures. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people frequently when when they're talking about youth or children's formation and, you know, what the church can or should or is not doing. I say, you know what all these individuals on my wall have in common? All these holy people, the church remembers, who influenced the church. I said, none of them had a youth director. Correct. None of them had a children's director. None of them likely had Sunday school or any whatever else. They were formed in the faith at home and by following the the, the rhythm of prayer in the church. Yeah. If you come to Mass every Sunday and you pray your prayers every day, I'm not saying full morning and evening prayer. That'd be lovely. But, but even just prayers every day, mm-hmm. reading the Bible and trying to find some other outlet to be formed within the mind of the church, I mean, reading with the, the teaching of the church, that that will be plenty. Mm-hmm. I think that there are two major reasons why formation is so difficult. One is the intimidation factor of people who who recognize their own inadequacies of yep. their upbringing, and they re- look at this book with all of these book meaning meaning the Bible. All this is a massive, massive volume. It is. It is. And I think they believe that they have to know what every single book means, yes. what every story, how it matters, and how it comes together. And frankly, I think they think that horse has left the barn. I'm too old. Uh, there's too much to learn. I don't have it in me, and I'm not. I'm not sure I, I care that much. Yeah, yep, yep. So it's the intimidation factor. I can't do it. It's crippling. So I'm. Yeah, crippling. I'm not going to try. So there's that. The the what compounds that is the low expectation the church has given yes. on that for generations. And I think the Episcopal Church really needs to repent of this. Notoriously bad. By saying that you know. Um, by sort of downplaying the idea of reading the Bible and even, again, we're not knocking Bible memorization. What we're saying is that's not the the end result of of formation. It's a tool in it. Um, And then, um, I mean, this lovely church here, which I'm so very, very fond of, there is no real tradition of adult Sunday school. There are no no rooms that that were established for adult Sunday school. Not that it has to happen in a room in Sunday, yeah. in fact, frankly, I would I would argue, COVID has taught us that's a waste of space, and right. churches are tearing down those education buildings right. left and right. However, during the heyday of all this, um, where churches were building education buildings, lots of Episcopal churches 
don't have them. They will have a rector's forum yep. on Sunday morning, which to be completely honest, is oftentimes the rector sort of winging it yep. um, um, between masses and it's more of you know what's happening and, and small talk for, for, for 20 minutes yep. and five minutes of some biblical reflection and Maybe a Maybe a couple donuts. The other thing that I think is, is, is a problem is, um, so there's, there's the intimidation factor, there is the low expectation of the church, um, and probably the low expectations come from a realization that people are intimidated and you do not want to alienate these people by raising the expectations and they'll quit coming. So if every parish church, for instance, was so well endowed financially that it did not matter if people gave a cent, then they could have the, um, the confidence to be able to say, this is what Christian formation looks like, and yeah. here's what we're going to do. The numbers would be smaller, but the people who would come would be really, really well formed. Yeah. There is, most churches aren't like that. Yeah. And so there is, again, not to be crass, a business model here mm -hmm. that we recognize that we want to have people to come into our churches, to fill our pews, to have transformed lives. We also know we can't do that. We can't live out our mission without the support, the financial support right. of people. And if we give them what they um, don't want to the degree, they don't come, mm -hmm. they don't give, the church shuts down. There is that real tension yep. that we just simply have to be honest about. And I remember working in churches where on the Wednesday night formation, there'd be a dinner. Everyone likes a dinner. At least they did before, um, you, you know, once upon a time in the church hall. And this wasn't here. This is in another church I, where I once worked. And then there would be education offerings after the dinner. They were all non-religious offerings. Yeah. They were like crafts, or they yeah. were you know it was like bird watching. Or, or I'm just throwing out examples of things they were like. And there may have been one. I remember teaching one Bible study, and it was the least attended of all of them. Yeah. Because if you can do meditative yoga, if you can do you know film critique uh, with a you know quasi spiritual bent, or the Book of Romans, most likely people who feel intimidated mm -hmm. aren't, aren't going, going to, to go, go to Romans. Yeah. And but but the the place may be packed. Yep. And people are buzzing and posting about how wonderful this is. Look what we're doing, and that just simply feeds the beast. It does. That's the programming. That's the that programming, we've, we've and, and um, you know, um, that's that's the difficulty. And so you have to kind of sort of take that stand and say, here's what Christian formation looks like. Here is what it is, and um, um, and raise the level of expectation. And but then you and I have to offer this stuff. Correct. We're the only people in the parish who have training and degrees and mm -hmm. the time yep. to sit here and help people yeah. work through this. So, and, and that brings up a good point of, you know, you look at the, the people on your wall and they didn't have a youth director and, and, and all that. I'm sure they would have liked to have one, um, you know, and, and the need is there. But, but I think in the church today, um, there is, especially in the Episcopal church, people get uh, crippled and clergy burn out because the clergy are established as the only people capable of teaching formation, which yep. there is an element at which we want people to be trained. You want to be careful who you listen to. If you get on Instagram and you see somebody with a million followers preaching and they have no actual intellectual pedigree, uh, who knows what you're going to hear? 
And I, and I say that as someone who grew up in churches that would constantly just bring dynamic speakers, and they wouldn't actually say a whole lot, um, but they would say a whole lot, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But, you know, there is that element, that worry, that we want to be careful about that. But at the same time, each person is capable of studying the Word of God by themselves and, and praying through that. And th- the resources are there. Come to, you know, people who have studied this more than you. I mean, it's... It's, it's very simple, and it makes sense in any other academic study. And I think people are just aren't sure what to make of it when it comes to biblical studies. If you were, you know, studying, um, I don't know, medicine, you can go read the textbooks by yourselves. You can learn something new, and then you're going to go and ask your doctor when it comes to something you aren't sure about. Um, it can be the same way with, with you know, biblical formation. You should be reading the Bible on your own. You should be reading it as part of morning and evening prayer. You should be studying it and seeking out, you know, biblical commentaries. And then when it gets to a question where you aren't sure, go and seek out those people who have more of an established pedigree than you. I do that. You do that. I mean, that, that, that makes sense in any other academic dis- discipline. But I think when it comes to biblical studies, like you said, people get crippled and they'll go 15 years without ever actually reading the Bible outside of Sunday morning. Yeah, and the hard part is, for instance, I can go by, I can go to Barnes and Noble now or Amazon and get Grey's Anatomy, right? And I can go and I have it, you know. Um, I mean, I do have it because my wife's a nurse, but I can look through it and I can read it. Doesn't mean I'm doing surgery. Correct. Right. Correct. Um, the problem is um, nowadays, more so than even when I was coming through um, seminary, is that now if someone's going to read and they're going to look at, I don't know, what's, what's this text in front of me? John 9, for instance, Sunday's Gospel. You can go online and find some really crazy interpretations. Hundreds. From people who present themselves as having some sort of yes. authority. It is confusing. And um, um, it's terrifying based it on, on what some of the translations may be. The, the church's response, how, how it's always been, is that Scripture will often interpret Scripture. Mm-hmm. And the lectionary, for the most part, will pair these texts together to help understand one out of, you know, they'll, they'll be paired together mm-hmm. almost like a, a fine wine and a good cheese. It brings out the flavors in right. one and the other. Devotionally, you don't have to. You don't have to memorize the kings of of Judah and Israel in, yeah. in order to understand um, the 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 Hebrew monarchy and what right. happened. Right. You don't have to to understand which kings were good and which kings were bad, but just to know that some were good and some were bad, and maybe remember you know some of the really good and ones and some of the bad, really bad ones. And know. why were they yeah. bad? Um, you don't have same to, reason for all of them. <laughs> you don't have to put all the like I was. I was getting my oil changed on Friday, and, and the two guys were great guys, and we always talk the Bible. And they were saying, "I want to read the Bible from you know beginning to end." I yeah. said, "The thing is, yeah. though, it doesn't really work that way yeah. because Genesis. You don't want to do that. Well, Genesis and to Malachi in the Old Testament, that's not the order in which the events occurred. You're also going to get bored. You're going to get two bored. months into it. And I said, he said, "Well, where, where can I find the list of how they are written in chronological order?" I said, "Well, you can find resources, but it's not really that." That easy, because the the text that like the book of uh, I gave an example the book of um, Job, mm-hmm. where does that fall in the biblical yeah. timeline? It doesn't. Who knows? Jonah, where does that fall in the? We don't really know. Yeah. So, 
you have to have a different expectation on that. But there are some, there are some really fundamental, basic narrative arcs that you can easily grasp. Easily. And then once you understand those, then the whole, um, I mean, once you have that, that vine, all the sort of branches kind of fall yeah. in, in, into place on that. And this is why biblical studies within a, a uh, within the tradition of the church is is so helpful because when you come across you know that Instagram video or that Google result and you're thinking this is seems like a crazy interpretation, well go and see if it matches with you know what the church fathers taught and what the church has always taught. It might be a crazy interpretation or it might be perfectly aligned with tradition and something you've just simply never heard of. And that can be an opportunity for growth to you. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, let's that look. The, the general narrative arc, you know, you read the Bible at home. I mean, yeah. it, it's so simple, but um, I, I think people really struggle with that. Read the Bible at home. Study it in conjunction with, you know, your local church, your local priest, but, but read it at home. You know, you need to take some ownership of that. Whenever this is a um, um, maybe a helpful comparison, it's not apples to apples, but but may, but when you're, for instance, if you're paying attention to the Supreme Court cases yeah. that are coming up, both the attorneys who are making an argument, but most definitely when the justices issue a um, um, an opinion, it is always based on commentary. Yep, commentary yeah. being. Precedent, yeah. precedence. Um, what and if you're looking at the the, uh, the constitutional issue, they will go and say, well, what did the actual, what, what did Jefferson and Adams write about this? Mm-hmm. What did the Federalist Papers mm-hmm. say about this? And they're trying to find the context of of what was going on when these things were written. And when we read the Bible, that's what we do. Yeah. We're going to see what did the church, well, how has the church always understood this? Mm-hmm. Because of this fundamental principle that is easily forgotten but shouldn't be, is that the church produced the Bible and not the other way around. If we say the church is getting in the way of the Bible, we're completely misunderstanding mm-hmm. the nature of the Bible itself. It is the church's document. The church existed before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, all of that existed before all those things. And so it is dangerous to say, I don't need the tradition, the interpretive tradition Mm -hmm. of the church. And we can say the interpretive tradition of the church for the first thousand years to be safe before there were real significant divisions and splits. We have to take seriously the splits of the church. Completely, But you got a lot of tradition before that. We've got a millennium of uh, of tradition Mm -hmm. that that would be a very... That's not to say we can't use and shouldn't use things after that, Mm -hmm. but it's a a safe place to start there to keep us um, within the the realms of what is um, um, an authentic traditional interpretation. We've got about five or so minutes left. and it might be helpful to just talk about formation here at St. Timothy's. Um, what is what is our goal here? You know, we've we've touched on it in the past, but to just really get down to it, um, formation here at St. Timothy's is an attempt to model Paul's words here in Ephesians four to teach people to put away their old selves and to put on the new person of Jesus Christ. So, you know, like when I when I you know plan and 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 prepare for my youth formation, that's always what it's about. I'm. I'm you know, I'll teach them biblical stories and how it connects to the person of Jesus Christ and try to, you know, especially when it comes to the Bible, try to open the Bible up for them a little bit. Um, I think for, for so many young people who have not been taught it, it's kind of this closed-off document, and, and it 
you can teach it to come alive for them, but all of that is always in service to transform life, you know, focusing on Jesus Christ, putting to death, you know, your old self. Um, this past Sunday, we talked about the transition from, from darkness to light. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the Christian life, is, is an attempt to put away all of the dark recesses of our soul that, you know, cloud our judgment, or as Paul says, that are diluted with, with lust, um, or lusts of sin, and to put on the new person of Jesus Christ. When we do adult formation, it's centered around scripture, tradition, reason, and, and Christian community. All of that is in service of trying to transform people's lives. When we do children's formation, it is simply a response to what is the most practical and useful way to teach families to transform and bring up their kids in the Christian life. There is no perfect curriculum for that. There is no, you know, you do this, and it's going to guarantee you're going to have, you know, faithful Christians in 10 years. No, the only faithful way to do it is to show up to church and to be part of that Christian community. Um, that faithful, repeated, you know, entrance into Christ's body, that's, that's how you're formed. And so, you know, Baptists still do Sunday school, although a lot of them have, you know, really, really hampered that. Most Most churches are kind of shine away from formation. And I think here at St. Timothy's, we are leaning hard into it, but not because we think, you know, it's it's a good way to get people in the doors, not because the programming is fun, or we think we have the best curriculum, because we simply want more people transformed by Jesus Christ. No, I mean, absolutely correct. I mean, we were actually, in terms of the marketing of it, we're, we're going maybe even against the polling data, yeah. if you were to, to use that, in that, um, I mean, we... We've we've taken a stand that we we want families to learn together, yep. if as as much as possible to mm-hmm. do that, and that um, Christian formation is not um, childcare with a moral story. Correct. That is the main thing because yep. we we've done that and we've seen what that gets mm-hmm. us, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and while we want everything to be fun, because the the Christian life is a joyful Joy-o. life. Yeah. Yeah. We're not about entertainment. Yeah. It doesn't mean that there's not that. I mean, I think we're very, very entertaining individuals. Absolutely, lots of people yeah. disagree with that. I think, <laughs> I think, I think we're a lot of fun. Um, but, um, but my go- our goal is not to to do a dog and pony show. Yeah. I mean, we, we're not, not that we're trying to make it boring at all. because yeah. we understand that you, you've got to pay attention to to receive this. Mm-hmm. So we, we we get that. Um, but what we try to do here is also to recognize. The world has changed, and we, we don't live in a small-town village. People have lives, and they're busy. And while I lament a lot of that, I live it myself, and so I can't be mm-hmm. hypocritical. And as we've said here and elsewhere, like for high schoolers, middle schoolers, we want them to be involved in extracurricular activities. We want them to be um, good Christian athletes, good Christian band members, good Christian club members, whatever they're doing, Absolutely. good Christian scouts. We want that primarily. So we're trying to find as many ways as we can to to make it normative for people to engage their faith, read Scripture, learn how to pray on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and to make that uh, expected um, and, and, and to draw them into it. So we, we do... Um, I think it'll catch on eventually, but our St. Timothy's Ordo, where we list yeah. on a calendar every day, 
uh, most every day, the sort of the readings, how to do the prayers. There's also about a 200-word reflection that yep. you and I alternate each week writing. It's not it's not deep, but it's something you can read you know, just on your phone, right. having your coffee or whatever, to maybe engage that text just a little bit more than right. otherwise. Our Wednesday night formation, which we're now really marrying tightly to guilds and societies to make it that community also a necessary part of a transformed life because we're not made to be alone. This podcast is maybe one of the most um, successful recent yeah. things that we've done because you can watch this at home. You can put it on your you can phone. Pause it and go to the bathroom pause and come it back. And do whatever you want to. I mean, we get that, and we, we both are are consumers of podcasts, right. both on YouTube and on, on other platforms. So we we get that and we, we enjoy that and we're trying to, to evolve and adapt and to do that. Um, we're also talking about, we've had a couple of trial runs during Advent and Lent just to see if it's going to work, of now taking Bible studies in people's homes right. and, and where you invite people to your home for yep. a Bible study and we'll help lead that. We're just trying to figure out logistically how do we how do we expand that with, with just the two right. of us. Um, and of course, there's always other things that we're doing to, to communicate the Christian life. But th- the main thing is, is to communicate this is a life in Jesus Christ yep. and not just simply the ability to, to regurgitate facts and figures and right. pass the test and we're done. And my final comment is when I first began my priesthood with an older generation and we talked about formation, they honestly viewed confirmation when they were a teenager as their graduation. Yep. yep, that was it. Because the prayer book sort of, the if you take the prayer book out of context, the old prayer book, the parents' job was to make sure their children were prepared for confirmation and, and the godparents. Yep. And once you've done that, then I've, I've done what I said I would do at baptism. Well, that's the letter, but that's not the spirit mm-hmm. of it. Um, and so they felt like I've I've graduated. Yeah. I'm done. Um, you cannot te- teach this old dog a new trick. Nonsense. Don't believe it at all. Our, our aim has always been Jesus Christ here, and it always will continue to be. If you're if you're listening to this or watching this, um, and you are interested in some of those resources, I'll put links in the description for the Saint Timothy's Ordo, the the reflection we do on the daily office readings. I'll put a link to the most recent family formation packet that kind of gives some resources yeah. on how to live out the faith at home. Um, I'll put some of the links of the various kind of formation things we have here at St. Timothy's in the description, so you can check that out on on your podcast or in the YouTube video description. But um, a a wonderful conversation about the centrality of Jesus Christ in formation, um, in addition to and alongside our our worship in the sacrifice of the Eucharist, um, that, that goes alongside that, and the Christian life is in pursuit of letting that have its full effect and putting to death the old self and putting on, you know, our new self clothed in righteousness with Jesus Christ. Let us close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.